You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, hosted by Dr. Heidi. Dr. Heidi has been exactly where you are right now. She's walked through the fire of toxic relationships and has now dedicated her life to help others do the same. Living in a toxic environment can cause the damaging behaviors of others to become normal, leaving you feeling hopeless and desperate. Learning how to recognize the toxic traits and understand why they occur is the key to taking your power back. Now is the time for you to gain your self-worth because you're worth it. Discover who you really are because you're awesome. And realize it's not normal. It's toxic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, Rid Your Life of Toxic People. And of course, this is Dr. Heidi, because who else would it be? Hey, um, today I actually have a topic that I get a lot of, I lit a, get a lot of requests for going into this topic, but I focus so much on my toxic uh, podcast about getting the word out so people can identify the toxic relationship that I 100% absolutely know that I do not spend enough time on this. Uh, but I got to be on a podcast a couple weeks ago and this woman is amazing. You know how, how you, you know how you meet somebody and either you connect or you don't. I had this weird feeling when I was on the podcast with this lady and I had to send her an email because I feel like I just, I just want to be friends with her. And, and I'm probably one of those people that just smothers people when she wants to be friends, but I had to let her know. I'm like, you know, so much about so much. So I want to welcome our guest today. Her name is Suzanne Falter. She's the host of the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast, where she brings better self-care to thousands of busy people each week in 98 countries around the globe. She also keynotes and leads corporate workshops on self-care. She is the author of the Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. Welcome. I'm so glad that you agreed to be on this. We're doing this. This is fun. Thank you. I know. And, and as you guys know, I don't use, I don't use video yet. But she is just, I don't know. Anyway, enough about that. But you are going to learn a lot from her. And she is just a personality that is to be liked. Um, so, Suzanne, let's talk a little bit because, because I know you've had a lot of different adventures in your career and in throughout your life. So let's talk about your work now and how you kind of got into the self-care realm. Well, I'm probably the last person who would have ever taken on the mantle of uh, a self-care thought person. And that has to do with the fact that I was a very driven workaholic for most of my career, um, right up into my mid-50s. And um, a very dramatic thing happened. I guess it was my early 50s. A very dramatic thing happened, um, which is that my daughter, Teal, Uh, at age 22, dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest two hours after I had dinner with her in a nice restaurant in San Francisco. And um, my whole life dramatically changed. 
and uh, you know the the EMTs had come and restarted her heart, but she never regained consciousness. And as I was standing in her hospital room in the trauma unit, looking at her heavily encased figure with all these tubes and wires and monitors and beeping, and I just knew that I could not continue to be a workaholic, that I had dramatically, I needed to dramatically shift my work and my focus, that in fact, I was probably not gonna work because I could see that this person was gonna die, this person who I loved mm -hmm. as much or more than anyone else in the world. And, um, you know, the future had arrived and it was gonna scoop me up and take me with it, but only, only, if I was willing. Mm -hmm. and all of this came to me because Teal was not a workaholic. Teal was a very free spirited, beautiful, loving soul who played blues on the street with her little backpack and her guitar all over the world. She was a fearless adventurer at age 22. And, um, you know, she wanted to heal people. Mm -hmm. She didn't care about ambition or money or glory or fame or any of it. She just wanted to heal people with her big heart. So I stopped working and I began grieving and I began to realize I didn't know anything about grief and I really didn't know how to stop working and take care of myself. And when somebody asked me, well, Suzanne, what do you need? I didn't know what I needed. Mm -hmm. I had a great big blank. And that great big blank stayed with me for at least the first year. And I slowly, like a huge, you know, the Queen Mary turning around, I began to lumber my way towards an understanding. Mm -hmm. So much of my life had been um, filled with anxiety and uh, overproducing mm -hmm. and, um, perfectionism and even uh the last relationship i'd been in which was to your point a toxic relationship all of that happened all of that awareness happened after uh we had to take teal off life support six days after her death i mean after her collapse <clears throat> yeah wow well i love the name teal is the first thing i have to tell you and i did not know that about your story until just now um, but I, you just said something that made me think about the listeners. You said a big blank. Um, you know, I, I work with people who are in toxic relationships. I work to get them out. I work to get them to understand it. And then I kind of do like you do, but we have to figure out their identity again. And so when you say big blank, I've never heard it described like that, but it is a big blank because when somebody says, well, what makes you happy? Do more of that. And you go, <laughs> you go, I have no idea. Or, you know, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? What's your favorite color? And people are like, yeah. And, and it's because we, tend, <laughs> we pour everything into our jobs and our relationships and everybody else on the planet is going to be good because we do what we do. So mm -hmm. I love that you said big blank because I remember, I remember thinking, yeah, now what do I do? And, yeah. and, and we might've said this on your podcast, but, and when somebody says, Suzanne, you just need to take better care of yourself. Mm. You're like, yeah, thanks. Like, mm -hmm. can somebody give me some tips or something on that? So, so, you know, where do we start? But when we, when I want you, 
to <clears throat> talk about where we started, I want you to tell us a little bit about that toxic relationship that you found yourself in, because it almost seems like, like your life was crescendoing up mm -hmm. to the point where it was, okay, now it's time to be serious about myself. Well, you know, I'll tell you something, Dr. Heidi, I believe in the power of the universe to show me what the heck I'm supposed to do next. And I've gotten in my 63 years, pretty good at surrendering to it. Although at, at that time, 10 years ago, I was not so good. And I was fighting everything that was happening to me tooth and nail. Mm -hmm. And the first big thing that happened uh, two years prior, I had moved across the country, left a marriage and um, come out as a lesbian and started my life over again. And I'd gotten into this uh, relationship, my first lesbian relationship. And the person I was involved with um, uh, was not a stable person at that time. And I, I can imagine that even just the leaving your marriage, making this huge transition and basically <laughs> coming out with a new identity. I mean, that, that in itself is, it's had to be a lot. Were you raising, yeah. were you raising kids at the time or, or no, your, no, my kids, kids were grown um, teal, pretty much. Uh, my son had, um, you know, this was all planned well in advance, but it happened to be the year he was going abroad to live in uh, Taiwan as an exchange student. And my daughter was already out of the home and, and, and working as a blues singer in, in Austin, Texas. And I was, um, you know, it was time for me to do this. And I even had the support of my ex-husband who was really great about it. So it was like this thing that had to happen. And um, I just, you know, because I was not in touch with myself and what I needed, I just blithely showed up in San Francisco after living in a tiny town in upstate New York for the last 10 years. Like, ta-da, okay, I'm, I'm here. here, guys. And the first thing I found out was there were no lesbians in San Francisco, that they were all in Oakland and Berkeley across the San Francisco Bay, and that I was there with a whole lot of gay men. So <laughs> I'm like, where are the women? And they're like, oh, honey, you know, no. <laughs> So then, um, you know, I did find, find one and um, we began this relationship and, you know, I didn't know who I was as a lesbian. I just knew that, you know, I wanted to do this and immediately all my mother's stuff got triggered. Mm -hmm. You know, to put it in a nutshell, my mother was a suicidal alcoholic who had a very, um, a very big struggle in her life. And uh, she was still alive, but she had dementia at that point in her life and, and lived back in Pennsylvania. So she was far from my mind, but she was deep in my subconscious. I can yeah. tell you that. <laughs> and then came this, this yes. uh, narcissistic woman that I got involved with. So how long was that relationship, if you don't mind me asking? No, it's fine. It was about 16 months. And, um, you know, three weeks into it, uh, I was like, oh, this is not going to be a good thing. I need to get out of this. So I ended it. And um, at the time, I had a wonderful business partner, um, this guy, Jeffrey, who was a dear friend of mine. And we were doing this online business together. And I remember him saying, you went back to her. I'm scared. Mm -hmm. I'm scared for you. And did I listen? Hell no. I just didn't want to be alone. I was doing whatever it took to keep the demons at bay. And I was pretending that this was a soulmate. This was somebody I was meant to meet. 
I, you know, Heidi, I've got a big imagination. Perhaps your listeners relate. I can spin my story to be wildly positive, even when it's wildly negative. Yes. Oh, that's that's how we all end up there. <laughs> Thank believe you me. for validating I, that. I did the same thing, you know. And of course, they're leading you to believe it's going to be better than it is also. So perhaps she was she is an interesting person because um she had enough self-awareness to know, as she put it, she was a hellcat. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she, she warned me, but I was so determined in my illusion mm-hmm. to hang on to this relationship and do whatever it was going to take that I began to immediately erode my sense of self. And I left her and I went back to her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in fact, Jeffrey said to me, I'm scared for you when I went back to her. Mm-hmm. You know, I left her and then I went back to her and I went back to her because I didn't want to be alone. And I was, I was not processing my trauma at leaving my 25 year marriage at suddenly not being a mom in action anymore. My son was, you know, thousands of miles away in Taiwan and being very independent and like, you know, don't call me, I'll call you Mm -hmm. as a teenager. And, um, you know, I was not processing any of that. I was just like, okay, where should we go to dinner tonight? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I was in the amusement park. Well, and, and, uh, and yeah. I think, I think when we're in the, you know, that's funny that you say amusement park, because um, there's a meme that floats around on social media that they go, didn't you see the red flags? And you go, yeah, I saw them, but I thought it was a carnival. <laughs> Pretty you much. Know? That's what it was like. And, and, you know, she, she was fun. She was funny. Mm-hmm. She's beautiful, very charming mm-hmm. and very smart. And um, I didn't, you know, it's funny because when I called her and I said, I made a mistake, I want you to come back. We had this encounter that was so interesting. And I've thought about this many times. I was sitting, uh, uh, she came to my apartment and, um, you know, uh, we sat down together and she said, I, I think I need to just go be alone for a few minutes. I said, okay. She said, yeah, I just need to like adjust here. So she went in the other room. And I sat and sat and sat. I waited about 10 minutes. And then she, you know, eventually came back. She's like, are you better now? And I said, what? You wanted to go in the other room? Oh, no, no. You're the one who needed the space. So the gaslighting Mm -hmm. was in place, full motion. And, um, you know, she insisted that I had sent her into the other room. And this is the kind of stuff that was happening again and again and again. And by 16 month mark, I was very, very uh, lost. And I had not found my way back to any kind of, you know, like I knew moving and coming, moving to California and coming out was what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I was deteriorating instead of mm-hmm. becoming this, you know, stronger, better, thriving person. And by the time we split up, I had ended my business because my business was really overworking me. My business partner and I both burned out on it. It was just like this big flare up that just kind of, you know, settled into dust. It had, it had been successful, but it was time to move on. So we closed that business and briefly, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was, you know, starting something new and I was in this kind of vulnerable place of change. And by then, not only had I gone back to my partner, but she had come to live with me 
and then decided she didn't like San Francisco and she moved out to another place in Bern County and I was invited to follow her there. So I let go of my apartment and I, um, you know, I was ready to leave San Francisco myself because mm -hmm. it wasn't the right spot for me. And heck, maybe this was the best place for me. So without much thought, I followed her there, even though my name wasn't on the lease, there wasn't a parking spot for me. Uh, the whole thing was sort mm -hmm. of like, yeah, there's this closet in the back. You can put your stuff there. <laughs> I mean, um, and I wasn't asking questions. Yes. I wasn't oh. saying I don't like it when you tell me what I should wear. No, we go. OK, OK, whatever. Anything to keep you happy, dear. Yeah. yeah. And um, and, you know, I remember her saying, um, <clears throat> oh, you're going to really like what I have to say tonight. You know, and this was the big announcement that she wanted me to move in with her in this new apartment she'd gotten. And um, and I was, you know, like, oh, boy. And uh, I moved and I went with her. And then pretty soon it was obvious that something was wrong. We weren't having sex. We were kind of I was kind of madly trying to keep ahead of whatever her was greatest coming. desire was next mm -hmm. or whatever was coming. And, and we were at the same time going to all these counselors. And, um, you know, I won't say any more than that, but her, uh, we went to a, a relationship counselor mm -hmm. and I sat there and said, you know, I'm beginning to think that this person does not want me to be her lover. I, I think she just wants to be my friend. Mm -hmm. And, um, by then I had moved in with the understanding that we were lovers and mm -hmm. this was a relationship. And she turned to me with this big smile in the session and said, oh no, honey, that's not true at all. And 10 days later, she said to me, you know what? I have no romantic feelings for you and I may never have had. In fact, I don't think I was ever in love with you. And this is after saying she did. Mm -hmm in the therapist's the, office yes so yes. you know what I know. do you do with that <laughs> i know and and you know it's it's so up and down that you know we know it's up and down but by the time it gets up it's down that fast that we don't we don't have time to shift that mm -hmm. fast we just have to catch up with whether it's up and that's down. that's right that's you right know? but one thing i knew was i was getting out of there and i was staying out of there and i had been invited to stay and be a roommate which was not our deal and i said no so I packed up and I left and, um, oh, I don't know, two months later, Teal died. And so lots <clears throat> of stuff. Lots of stuff happened. And I found by the time Teal died, we had attempted to at least have a few, you know, we had to have some negotiating or whatever mm -hmm. about the, picking up my stuff and so forth. Um, so we'd had a few encounters, but it was clear to me that I could not stay connected to this person because mm -hmm. I just didn't feel safe. Yep. And God it's bless her. You know, she's out in the world. She's doing the best she can. Mm -hmm. And I did the best I can. And it wasn't that great. It was the whole thing was not that, not great. that great. No. But what I learned was I had consistently squelched my voice, my needs, mm -hmm. my desires. And the first big act of self-care for me coming out of that relationship was to start to own my truth and own it. And to this day, I have done so. And now I'm happy to say I am seven years into a great relationship. Uh, my wife is a 
wonderful, wonderful woman who has made me extremely happy. And I have very honest conversations mm -hmm. and my needs and my desires are fully expressed and respected. Mm -hmm. And isn't it fun when you finally realize there's people that actually want to communicate and, and not, you know, and not fight or argue or that have the capacity for it. Yeah. That have the capacity for it. Mm -hmm. That don't have to eye me mm -hmm. like this suspicious stranger in my midst who mm -hmm. I must control because she's so dangerous. Yep. yep. And I, I say it often, if somebody would have told me years ago that there was somebody like who I'm married to now, mm -hmm. I would have, I would have never believed him. I was a trained fighter. I was the fix it lady. I was, you know, I was, yeah. you know, um, so, so when you say, now I'm going to forget what you just said, but your biggest step, oh, owning your truth. Mm. Okay. So, so that's another phrase kind of like, you need to, you need to love yourself more. Yeah. We love the fact that we know we have to own our own truth, but like, where do we start? Where okay. Do we start okay. With that? So for me, it began with somebody saying, Suzanne, what do you need? And the whole grief process, the whole first year, I kept trying to get back to work and I kept trying to reinvent my old life, even though I knew it was not what I needed. And I had to begin to trust that my desire, my body, my being, my whole self that was telling me stop and rest could be trusted. So this has to do with trusting your inner voice and really listening to it and really allowing it to guide you. And that is a very large part of what I have discovered is true emotional self-care. Mm -hmm. And with it comes naturally setting boundaries, saying, no, it's not okay for you to tell me what to wear all the time. It's not okay to invite me to live with you in a place where my, I don't have a parking space. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, instead of saying, oh, it's, it's fine. It'll be okay. It's no. <laughs> okay so one little word no okay so let me ask you this because you know most of most of us that step into toxic relationships are your kind caring loving fixing supporting type people right yep, so that's right so so when you first started setting boundaries how do you get past the emotional guilt or the emotional how is it going to affect other people <clears throat> or what are other people going to think how did you stay solid in the fact that you know this is what I have to do and not let that emotional side of us get involved. All right. So for two years after I left that relationship and Teal died, I lived in a space of beginning to listen to myself more and more and surrounding myself with the magic sauce, which is support. And the support I got was largely from grief groups and 12-step groups. And uh, I found my way into some groups that were very appropriate for me as the daughter of an alcoholic. I had lasting damage that I wasn't even aware of. And there are programs like Adult Children of Alcoholics, Al-Anon, Codependence Anonymous, all of that stuff is really helpful if you find it is not possible to set loving boundaries and firm, polite boundaries with people. At the same time, I was in a grief group. Uh, for people who'd lost children that I found through a local hospice. You know, hospices are so fantastic for people who are grieving because they will hook you up with free therapists. I had a one-on-one -on -one grief therapist and this great group. And, you know, those are people who are going through what you are going through. 
or understand how to help you get through it. So I had to stop being the lone wolf on top of the mountain howling at the moon for my own glory. And I had to come down the mountain and I had to hang out with people mm -hmm. who were also suffering. Definitely. And um, you know, just... I'd been a big dog. I didn't want to mm -hmm. do that. Right. But boy, did I need that. But, but you know what? Through, through, and this was exactly me too. We do so much for so many that we don't feel like we need help. So sometimes, right. sometimes when people will insinuate that you need help, no, we don't look at everything I've been through. Why would I need help now? <laughs> okay. So my work is called self-care for extremely busy women because every woman is extremely busy and we're busy because we're taking care of everybody else. And I think one of the essential pieces of learning true emotional self-care was to return the focus to myself. And to start to feel my feelings, you know, Tilly, um, my daughter had left behind this beautiful little red spiral notebook filled with insights that she'd gotten in her meditations. And one of them was about listening to her body, going into meditation or, you know, putting her hand on her belly, even just something simple and really listening to what her body was guiding her to do in that moment about that question, the answers are in there, mm -hmm. but we aren't quiet enough or still enough or trusting enough to hear them. And when I started to do that, Heidi, I began to feel not only my grief and my fear of being left in this very uncertain position, but I also behind it, the more I let those feelings out, I began to feel the importance of what I was going through and the possibility and the fertile creative ground that was being tilled for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I could start to feel some hope right along with the grief and everything else. We run from our feelings, we don't honor them. And, you know, yet another piece of emotional self care. I had to allow a lot of anger out of my body that I had at this former partner. It was all the anger that I had suppressed, mm -hmm. all the anger that I wasn't willing to voice because I was afraid of her. And the anger was there and it was um, vitriolic. And you know, the, the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's the great guru of grieving said, one of the stages of grief is anger. But I was never angry at how Teal died because the way she died was unexplainable, mysterious, and in a strange way, very consistent with her life purpose to be a healer mm -hmm. because she left behind this healing legacy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, kind of healing mojo was in the air is <laughs> the best way I can say So it. She, she basically left you a handbook yeah, and said, mom, slow down. You and know, don't take this out and spread the word, honey, Yes, because that's you, what we're doing here. <laughs> yes. And you know what? You talked about being busy and being a perfectionist and being all that. It's so easy for us to continually throw ourselves into that when we have suppressed anger and we have suppressed trauma. And we, it's just easier for us to stay super, super busy than to deal with that. So this whole slow process over those three or four years, 100% made you slow down long enough. And you know, when you're used to going 100 miles an hour, slow is uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And so is uncertainty. I want results and I want them now and I mm -hmm. want to know how to get them. Yep. And I was getting a great big blank 
about how am I going to earn a living? What am I going to do next? I knew it wasn't the previous online business that was over mm-hmm. all anything related to it was over. Um, in the end, after two years, an offer came to me to write fiction for an investor for a while. And I ended up doing that and writing eight novels. And I had written, you know, I originally mm-hmm. started out as a writer of fiction and nonfiction and self-help books in particular. And I did that for a while. And it was a very, very wonderful way to just reclaim my space as a creative person, mm-hmm. tell stories that I felt were healing and uplifting, and, you know, get back to give, give myself some time to create this other message, which really turned out to be about self-care. And it took me three years to really understand that I was supposed to be spreading the word mm-hmm. about this thing that I was doing for myself. And, um, you know, it's not like I got a degree in self-care. I got a degree in life. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's funny because our 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 jobs and, and lives parallel quite a bit because yeah. I didn't get a degree in mental health either. I was, I was definitely trained through experience just like you. Yep. So, so do you have things like today that you, do you have daily practices or stuff that mm. you do for yourself? In fact, I just did one, which is yoga. Um, mm-hmm. You know, twice a week, I, uh, I do a wonderful, um, live online class with my yogini Kashi Ananda, who uh, leads me in this beautiful grounding kind of slow-mo yoga that is just, ah, it's got got a healing essence to it that makes me feel so good. And then um, I meditate every morning for 20 minutes. Uh, And, you know, it's really hard to get yourself to meditate. Most busy women are not interested in meditating. Most people in toxic relationships are not interested in making changes that are going to hurt and potentially be uh, frightening. Mm -hmm. Um, But what yoga teaches me to do and what meditation teaches me to do is listen to myself. Mm -hmm. And I've had to uh, create like a little sound wall using the insight timer. which is a beautiful free app. I uh, get the free version, at least I, I do. And on that app, I can build, you know, a timer that takes me through 20 minutes and there are little chimes at certain points. And mm-hmm. there's beautiful little background sounds. And I have, you know, wind chimes and a little running water and little birds. And mm-hmm. I have to listen to that to be able to calm down enough. Mm-hmm. I can't sit in silence. And so, um, yeah, so that for- kind of thing. So let's just say, okay, so there is people in these type of relationships and they know they're not taking care of their, themselves. And right now, either they're not ready or they feel like they don't have an option. Listening to their bodies would probably be the first suggestion that, that you would start mm-hmm. with, right? Mm-hmm. Even if, if you can't meditate for 20 minutes, lock yourself in the bathroom for two. Yeah, yeah. And, or, or even better, when you wake up in the morning, just take two minutes for yourself put your hand on your belly and just breathe, Mm -hmm. just breathe three deep breaths and just feel whatever's right there. You don't even have to ask yourself, what do I need right now? Although that's a helpful question. Mm -hmm. Just put your hand on your belly and breathe and feel what is there. And often you'll feel anxiety. Mm -hmm. You might feel some grief. You might feel some some, um, desires for certain things that seem out of reach. You might feel uh, a big block of, I don't know what to feel. 
you know, this is really worth exploring when you have another five minutes with a notebook. You open a notebook, something that you just keep in your own little space and you write down whatever you need to work your way through. And sometimes I did a huge amount of journaling during my, my grieving period. Sometimes I would write down dreams and my dreams were coming fast and furious and they all seemed to have great portent and meaning and they helped me understand what to do next. Mm -hmm. uh, but not everybody dreams. And sometimes it's about sitting with whatever's on your heart, your mind and asking yourself or the universe or perhaps God, if you have a relationship with God or, or you know, just your inner instincts. Mm -hmm. What do I do about X, Y, Z? And then you just let the pen move across the page. That is such a useful exercise for allowing ourselves to mm -hmm. tune in to our own inner guidance, to our own deeper understanding. Yeah, and I, I think what I'm getting out of this was something that I wasn't expecting. But as I'm listening to you talk, you're not saying sit for two minutes and think positive thoughts. No. You're saying sit for two <laughs> minutes and recognize literally whatever you're feeling, whether it's good or bad, because we have to be able to get back to feeling. That's we, right. I mean, we, I told you, I told you, Heidi, for the first year after Teal's death, I was in denial. First of all, that she died. I was in shock, but I was also in denial about the chaos in my life mm -hmm. and what bad choices I had made again and again. And when I finally got real, it all became clear, but I had to be supported. I had to go to meetings. I had to sit with a therapist. I had to get real. Yes. And I think, I think that's a huge thing that if I'm not wrong, my listeners are probably thinking the same thing. Oh yeah. We spend so much time trying to pretend we're positive and acting like the relationship is okay. And no, we're fine. We're fine. We got it. Yeah. That when, when, when we start feeling something like anxiety or fear, we go get under the rug. Yeah. And so you're saying, no, we have to we literally have to acknowledge what it is that the, we're feeling. Yeah, because mm -hmm. the thing is, those signals are coming from your soul mm -hmm. and the deep parts of your body, and they are trying to help you get back to natural alignment. Mm -hmm. We're all born in alignment, but then we make choices and we go down certain roads that knock us out of alignment. And what is very true about toxic relationships, and certainly was true about mine, is we begin to lose our sense of strength and, and grounding and possibility and even hope, our hope erodes. Mm -hmm. And we what? become totally. very, very weak. But when we allow ourselves to tune back in, that little engine is still in there, but we've lost touch with it. Mm -hmm. That's why so much of this work, this real inner self-care and, 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 you know, finding the reason to provide yourself with exercise and nutrition and, you know, all the external stuff about self-care. That all comes from understanding the gold that you've got mm -hmm. inside of you. Mm -hmm. See, you guys, I told you, you would love her. I told you. <laughs> um, so, so Suzanne, do you work with people individually on doing the self-care or what avenues, like, how do you? I do not coach individually. I speak to groups. I have, uh, you know, website, speaking page, et cetera, mm -hmm. at Suzanne Falter, my name, dot com, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. You Google me, you'll find it. Um, and I do the podcast. And, you know, I, I try to get this mission out there, this mission of mine and Teal's, 
-hmm. however I can. Because, you know, I, and I have a book, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. It has a lot of checklists and things like that. So people sometimes find that a useful way to get started. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to serve in the larger mm -hmm. capacity. I love that. I love that. Thank, thank you so much for taking mm -hmm. the time. And now I got to get on and order your book and I got to oh, go, awesome. I got to go lock myself in the bathroom for two minutes. <laughs> All right, um, cool. Honey. But yes, Thanks. no, I appreciate, I'm sure that we will be talking again, but thank you for mm -hmm. being, thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with others. Looking for a community that understands? Join our Facebook support group, Strength Within. For more information on all the services Dr. Heidi provides, please visit www.coachingwithdrheidi.com. It's time for you to break free because it's not normal, it's toxic. <laughs>